coming up. As you pick up a breathing book, there's 400 different breathing practices, pranayama book, the same thing, kundalini, the same thing. I was like, what do you do with all this? But I found that there so many of them have the same end goal, right? It's to allow you to use your breathing to turn on stress on purpose, and also turn it off. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Megan Vanoy, myofunctional therapist with my good friend, co-host, myofunctional therapist, soul sister, Kimmy Nishimoto. <laughs> um, and we are super, super excited as you guys are about to be once you learn who we are talking to right now, uh, Mr. James Nestor, uh, best-selling author, researcher, uh, self-experimenter, turns out. Uh, he wrote <laughs> Breath. Uh, and uh, it hit the shelves gosh was it 2020 and it just blew up and uh, it's been such a privilege to read and uh, I got to actually uh, see slash uh, stalk uh, James Nestor when he came to the Oregon Dental Conference in April convinced him strong-armed and whatever you want to say to come on to the show uh so we're super we're super grateful to have you uh and hi welcome <laughs> thanks for having me here we are here we are we made it so um could you give us a little just background on you know what even got you into what got you into this space what made you want to experiment on yourself and give yourself sleep apnea because that doesn't seem mm. like the most fun to you know those who have it, it's not like the most fun to do so uh what uh, what was your driving force well for anyone who's read the book that whole experiment i thought was going to be an end note to the book i thought it was going to be an extremely short little section because it was more out of curiosity, my own curiosity, Anders' curiosity. We had no idea how long it was going to be going on. We had no idea what we were going to find. We weren't even sure that we were going to do it until the last minute. But it ended up being a much larger part, mostly because the effects were so dramatic. So I'll fill everyone in real, real mm -hmm. quick. Thanks, mm -hmm. So this was an experiment we did with Stanford that was 10 days mouth breathing. So we were completely plugged up, our nasal cavities were plugged up, and then 10 days, almost entirely nasal breathing. And we knew because the science is very clear, mouth breathing causes all this problems. It can contribute to snoring, sleep apnea, allergies, I mean, you name it, respiratory issues. But we, nobody knew how quickly those problems came on. And uh, we found they came on instantly. And that was shown mm. in our sleep, that was shown in our anxiety levels, in our CO2 levels. I mean, anyone who questions whether or not mouth breathing and nasal breathing are the same thing, 
force yourself to mouth breathe for a couple of days and see how you feel afterwards. Uh, they're not. And so our experiment was just able to further what the science has already said for decades and decades, that these are two very different pathways through which we should breathe air. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you've ever had a nasty cold or sinus infection, you oh, yeah. miss breathing <laughs> through your nose. It feels disgusting. So I can't even imagine like 10 days of that. Um, so can you go back to the, the studies that you guys did? Uh, what were the experiments and kind of walk us through what that was like? So when you're looking at mouth breathing, you want to see how it affects sleep, of course, but you also want to see how it affects athletic performance. You want to see how it affects concentration, um, other things, blood glucose, so on and so forth, because we know it's very clear that sleep apnea and other forms of sleep disordered breathing can make you much more likely to get diabetes, uh, stroke, heart attacks, more and more. People say, how is that possible? Diabetes mm -hmm. is linked to the way you breathe. If you're stressing yourself out eight hours every single day, then it's going to catch up to you. Um, you know, cortisol is going to jump up, blood sugar is going to jump up, and, and finally your insulin is going to become less sensitive. So we didn't see that happen because we were only doing it for 10 days, but we were following, God, I don't know how many different markers, 40, 40, 50 wow. different markers with, with blood work. And we we're doing, we we're testing three times a day, every single day, um, not blood work three times a day, every single day. <laughs> that, that would have been awful, but, but as much as we, as much as we could. And what we, again, what we found wasn't any surprise to anybody who studies this stuff, you know, it, it just furthered what we already knew is that so many people are going through life plugged up with chronic obstruction. They have headaches. They don't sleep well. They're tired all the time. They're cranky. They don't associate their chronic obstruction with these problems. And what we found, I think what the science has found is that very oftentimes, not always, but very oftentimes, those are symptoms of being chronically plugged up. And that's certainly how we felt. Yeah. And I thought that was a really mm -hmm. good point that you kind of brought up that we hear a lot. Um, you know, you're stressing yourself out, mouth breathing eight hours a day. A lot of times we hear that from patients of, well, I only, I only breathe through my mouth at night. It's only at night. It's like, well, if that is eight hours, eight out of 24 hours of the day, I mean, that's a, that's a third of the day. If you reverse that to being awake, how would you feel then? So I think that's a big missing piece to it. Oh, it's only when I'm sleeping. Oh, it's only at night. It's fine. <laughs> and that that's another thing with, you know, people don't associate mouth breathing as, as being unhealthy at night. I would prefer if you're going to mouth breathe for eight hours, do it in the daytime. Mm -hmm. uh, nighttime when we're sleeping is when your body's trying to restore itself. And if it's struggling to even go to sleep, you can't hit those stages of deep sleep. You're constantly waking up what's going to happen to your body? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it doesn't take a genius to, to figure that out. So I don't find that this stuff is very controversial at all. What I have found is so many people are mouth breathing at night, uh, over 60% of the population. I think it's more than that. So many mm -hmm. people have snoring and sleep apnea as a chronic condition, and they're not associating the pathway through which they're breathing to these conditions. And what we found is it's, there is a, direct connection between those two things. No, 
converting to nasal breathing isn't going to cure everyone of right. all kinds of sleep disorder breathing, but it's only going to help you. Sometimes it'll help you a little mm -hmm. bit, other times it'll transform your life. And that's a message I just don't see anybody talking about beyond you good people, of course. You, Thank you. you. Beyond kind of our, our circle, yes. <laughs> We're trying to make our circle bigger every day because we, you know, Kimmy and I, we talk about our own issues all the time. You know, we both have struggled in and out over the years with sleep breathing disorders, different anxieties, allergies, mouth breathing, like we're the, you know, we check all the boxes, whatever box I don't check, Kimmy checks, whatever box Kimmy checks, you know, like we literally give us the sheet between the two of us. We'll, you know, we'll add. So it's, it is amazing to see the differences, uh, you know, in kind of in that space of more and more professionals are talking about it, but you know, sometimes it does just seem kind of obvious. So I'm glad that you took the initiative to kind of bring that, what seems obvious forward. So more and more people can start to talk about it as well, because we still run into this with patients, you know, oh, I have sleep apnea. They just gave me a CPAP. Oh, I have, you know, I'm snoring. They just told me to wear this night guard. And those can be like adjunctive, helpful treatments. But if we don't get to you know, well, your mouth breathing, of course, your CPAP's not going to work. The air goes in through your nose, not your mouth, right? So it's been really interesting to see and even have more patients reach out after reading your book. So, you know, also thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> more people are, they're asking the questions and I think that's really important. Well, I think the questions are, are so simple and the answers are simple too. This isn't some very convoluted thing, right? And it's not asking people too much. It's one thing to ask someone to go keto or paleo or vegan or vegetarian if, if they're used to eating junk food, but you're talking about something you're doing all day long. And mm -hmm. I think that's what people related to in the book. And that's certainly what I related to when I was researching this stuff. I was like, of course, this is true. <laughs> you know, of course, it's going to make a difference to athletic performance, sleep quality, mm -hmm. focus. Of, of course it is. Yeah, here are the measurements now. Here are decades of measurements. That's cool. But you can just do it and, and look what happens to your blood pressure. Look what happens to your heart rate variability. You change the path, the, the pathway in which you breathe and then the pattern in which you breathe. So, of course, that's going to make a difference years and decades later if you're breathing dysfunctionally. And it's just, it has astounded me that it took me so long to learn this and still no one's really talking about it. I mean, that's starting to change now because of COVID, I think, more than anything. People I would agree. Are, are mm -hmm. um, it's like, who would have guessed? Breathing's important? What? Yeah. <laughs> The, yeah. the thing that you have to do as a human being, that's so strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So James, uh, when you guys did the experiment, what changes did you guys note and what uh, conditions did you start to develop in that period of time? I think the first thing that I noticed is my blood pressure just went through the roof. And I, I mean, it went up like 25 points. Wow. And luckily, it didn't stay that high, but it was significantly higher throughout the entirety of the experiment. And then it just went right back down when I went back to nasal breathing. And there isn't too much data on this. I think there's about two dozen studies showing that switching your breathing can affect your blood pressure for sure. It doesn't work for everyone again, but, right. but it can have an impact and it, it is something to consider. So I think blood pressure was the first thing. And then when we went to bed that night, we both started snoring for the first time that any of us are aware. And we took about two weeks 
two weeks of baseline data, uh, no snoring, no sleep apnea for, for either of us. Wow. And the very first night I was snoring for an hour and a half and Anders came over in the morning. Mm -hmm. I just felt so awful. I said, dude, how do you feel? He's like, I was snoring all night. <laughs> and then uh, within a few, and it kept getting worse and worse. So you see what happens if mm -hmm. somebody gets a flu or gets a cold, converts mm -hmm. to mouth breathing for a couple of weeks, that becomes the new norm. And they just become acclimated to, to breathing in this way. They become acclimated to having a huge jug of water by their bed, as I did for decades mm -hmm. and decades, thinking it's normal mm -hmm. to wake up and have your mouth just parched and dry. It's, it's totally not. And mm -hmm. I wish someone would have told me that because of what I've heard from a lot of dentists is the number one cause of cavities, number one, more than sugar, is mouth breathing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But then it's like... It, I know in dentistry, like before I knew anything about myo or airway, it'd be like, it seems like you're a mouth breather because you have a lot of gingivitis. You should try to breathe through your nose, but they're like, That's lady, <laughs> I have allergies. Like I can't, or one guy's like, yeah, I fell and like fell face first when I went skydiving. So I can't. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, what I've told people is if, if you can't, that's no excuse to be like, oh, I can't. I'm good. You got to get that fixed. <laughs> like yeah. if you break yeah. your leg, you're not just going to leave it there. You know, right. if your liver gets injured, you're, you're not going to just not go through some sort of rehabilitation right. if your stomach gets. So uh, I think that you have to view the nose as an equally vital organ for long term mm -hmm. health. We can get by breathing through our mouths for a long time. Doesn't mean we're healthy. Right. Yeah. And I think that's true. We actually uh, last week did a podcast uh, talking with Dr. Larry Kotlow about the tongue being an organ. And we touched on, mm -hmm. you know, breathing and stuff too. But I think that's so true. The nose, breathing through the nose is definitely, it's vital. It makes it an organ. It's just as important as your heart pumping. And for whatever reason, you know, Western medicine or whatever you want to call it hasn't kind of aligned that you know, thinking quite yet. Well, I think that's because we have viewed health in terms of survival or not surviving. So there's doctors in my family. I hang out with doctors all the time, friends with a bunch of doctors. I'm a huge fan of Western medicine. And if every, if anyone read the book and, and is just mm -hmm. assuming that I'm not, they're, they're insane. Uh, Western medicine I didn't read saved, it that way. <laughs> saved my life, yeah. you know? So, but Western medicine is so good at keeping people alive, but yeah. it tends to to really fall short when you're looking at keeping people continually healthy. I heard this quote from mm -hmm. a friend, which I thought was really good a couple of years ago. He said, Western medicine is great if you don't wanna die. Eastern medicine <laughs> is great if you wanna live. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, that really sums it mm. up. So it's the future of medicine as we're seeing is integrative care for mm -hmm. sure. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They go so hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can have one without the other. I haven't been able to survive one without the other. So I'm grateful <laughs> for both. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so interesting that things can be so separated when everything just works so well together. So uh, I think that's so great that um, we have that conversation really kind of happening amongst other medical professionals, more sleep conferences are happening, more questions are being asked. You know, I started kind of the airway 
world situation back in 2012. Um, so it's been 10 years since I kind of got my first like nibble at like what this even means. And just to see it really grow and change, I'm so grateful for it to then I don't seem so crazy anymore. <laughs> so James, when you guys did the experiment, did you notice any changes in inflammation of the body or with cortisol? We did. Anders, especially his cortisol went through the roof. Um, and we noticed it's hard within 10 days, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of the data didn't change. A lot of the blood markers didn't change because I think those would change over months, over years. There's no way I'm going to do this experiment over over <laughs> years, obviously. But just anecdotally, as far as we were we were feeling, it was a profound difference in inflammatory states, in levels of focus, in athletic performance across the board. And the numbers that we could record were documenting all of that if you look at heart rate variability which is a pretty good marker of, yeah. of your nervous system balance and if you're in sympathetic or parasympathetic it's so hard if you're mouth breathing uh to stay in a level in an area where you have good hrv and yeah you can do purse lip breathing or unjai breathing to to simulate nasal breathing, and that works great, but there's no way you're gonna do that all day. So mm -hmm. it's it, when you are unconsciously breathing through your mouth, you're breathing too much air, you're not breathing in a slow rhythm, and your mm -hmm. body uh, can live that way, it can function, but it can't find the balance. It's constantly compensating to give that balance to you. So why would you make your body do all that unnecessary work all day long, all night long? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a great question. And I'm, not, <laughs> and I'm not sure about you if you used to be a mouth breather or not, but um, mm -hmm. I am what I call a mouth breather in recovery. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's been periods of my life where I just straight up couldn't because of allergies and congestion, uh, deviated septum, things like that. Um, and I've learned to train myself, but in the beginning, when I first started to try to force myself to nose breathe, it almost made me feel panicky where I just wanted to tap my foot all the time. I felt jittery and breathing really shallow and rapidly. And, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself like, well, I'm breathing through my nose, so that's good. But my heart is going crazy because I'm not used to breathing such little air. Um, did you ever encounter that in your research about like, even though your nose breathing, if you're breathing shallow and rapid with your chest, like what that does to the body? Well, what you're responding to when you switch from mouth breathing to nasal breathing is an increase of carbon dioxide. So mm -hmm. what stimulates the need to breathe is not oxygen, at least at around sea level. Things change if you get really high into altitude, but it's rising levels of CO2. So when people say, I can't breathe through my nose because I get panicky, I feel claustrophobic, they're responding to those rising levels of CO2. What's amazing about the human body is it's malleable. It can shift mm -hmm. depending on the inputs yeah. it's given. So if you start with these things very slowly, you can acclimate your body to nasal breathing very, very slowly, um, which what I mean by slowly isn't extremely slow breaths. It's 
baby steps towards becoming mm -hmm. an obligate nasal breather. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, when they read things, especially Westerners, are just going to want to go from zero to 100. Yeah. And they want to <laughs> skip over all the other crap. Like when I talk about breathing, people are like, I'm ready to do the Wim Hof. I'm ready to do holotropic breath work. I'm looking at these people just... <sighs> Just mouth breathing. It's like you need to get your act in order, get all of the basics down first, yeah. then you can bump it up to the next level. Uh -huh. So the stuff we talk about isn't sexy. It's not very fun, but it's necessary to have that foundation before you can start doing some really interesting things with your breath. Yeah. Yeah. I, a lot of times I'll, you know, when we first start working with patients, you know, we're like, we're just going to work on some daytime nasal breathing. And mm -hmm more often than not, just because they're enthusiastic and they're, you know, they're all in, they'll come back two weeks later and they'll say, Oh, well, I tried to go on a walk and I tried to breathe through my nose and like hold my lips together. It was so hard. And like, I'm really glad you tried that, but like, let's step it back. We're going to call that level three. We're still on level one. And they're usually, you know, like, okay, okay. I just got excited. And it's true. It's so hard to just to go from zero to 60, mm -hmm. but it's so hard when you're like type a and you just want to do that <laughs> yeah <Like> guilty <laughs> and that's yeah and that that's what people do with their diets too mm -hmm. they, they just yeah. go back and forth on diets and we know that diets don't work <laughs> it's it's what you what you eat all the time is what's mm -hmm. going to really affect you so you need to change your lifestyle your relationship around food instead of just going on a diet every two weeks or whatever and i think it's the same thing with breathing you know some people who have anxiety depression issues who have trouble sleeping not because of sleep disorder breathing but because their minds are always racing, mm -hmm. they say, oh, I do my breath work once a week. I'm, I'm a good breather. I'm good to go. Um, what is so much more important is how you're breathing every other day that you're not doing your full on breath work. How are you breathing mm -hmm. when you're working at a computer? How are you breathing when you're walking, when you're watching TV, especially when you're sleeping? Mm -hmm. Again, this is not the stuff people get a little bored about that because they want to see the Wim Hof, like turbo mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, that's there, yeah. but only for the people who first take care of business and get the basics down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, they've gone through kindergarten first and they're like ready to go on to like, <laughs> that's right. go to Harvard. Yeah. Yeah. Kindergarten to Harvard, just like that. <laughs> yeah. And now, so what are some of the different breathing techniques like that you've been working on now that you are an expert obligate nasal breather? So you've mentioned Wim Hof, which we've talked about before you've mentioned, what was the other one you mentioned? So I just want to clear something up. I am not a breathing uh, guru or expert. I am a mere journalist who wrote a lot about breathing gurus and breathing experts. I gleaned a lot from them. <laughs> I've adopted a lot of their techniques because, of course, I did. Uh, I, I saw what they did to my body and my brain and other people's bodies, other people's brains. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to convey some of the things that I found very effective. So the first thing was I spent months becoming an obligate nasal breather, months. So this was not something that happened over a couple of days. And now I'll be damned if I'm ever walking around and ever breathing through my mouth, ever. I don't need to think about it. And that's the point with this stuff, with these habits. You want to do them enough so they become your natural default not something that you, we don't need another thing to do on our daily list right, right. Uh, but in order to get to that point you've got to do a little work sorry that's just how it is so once mm -hmm. i learned that 
nasal breathing, especially at night. I'm a big fan of the sleep tape. I use it every oh, single yeah. night. I travel Us with too. it. I oh. camp with it. I can't. It's it's absolutely changed my quality of sleep profoundly. Yeah. Us too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we're big old mouth tapers over here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but beyond that, what's great about breathing? Once you do get those basics down, it can really do things to your body, to your brain, take you to places that you did not think possible. A lot of people say, oh, this is woo woo, new age stuff. Try it out yourself. Go to a lab like I did. A lot of what I researched in the book did not make it into the book. (laughs) So it was never there. And you can profoundly change how your blood flows, how your heart beats, whether or not you're Mm -hmm. hot or cold. Um, where your mind goes, you can put yourself into a trance or dream state through breathing. And this stuff's been around for thousands of years. And that stuff is so much fun to play around with. But mm-hmm. that is the graduate course mm-hmm. to breathing. Um, going back to mouth tape, we're curious, what do you use as a man with facial hair? Because that is a hard one. What, do you, what looking, works for you? I'm looking for, <laughs> I thought I had some here. I'm in All my of office. I'm usually in my other, patients. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually in my, in my studio, but you got me in my office. I don't have any here right now. But, you know, a lot of people say, oh, mouth tape. Yeah, you know, it sounds like a good idea. I have a beard. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes, do they too. do. <laughs> yes, I do they too. do. <laughs> I don't know what what to tell you. I wish I could demonstrate this right now, but you're not taping your face, people. You're taping your lips, and unless you're <laughs> growing hair on your lips, this is not an issue. Uh, I I don't know how many times I have to say this. I use a little piece of tape. Some people like the fat strip. That's mm-hmm. cool. Teeny piece of tape on my lips. The point is, as you guys know, as you tell all of your clients, that it should be able to come right off very Mm -hmm. easily, comes right off. Mm -hmm. So you just tape your lips. It's a reminder to keep your mouth shut. Anyone who uses that as a paltry excuse (laughs) not to sleep tape is not looking at the reality of the situation. Yeah, so I I have to... Yeah, send that to, (laughs) like, I have this strip that it comes in and then I have patients cut it into like thirds or my bearded patients. I'm like, and fold it in half. That's it. That's it. That's what I tell them. (laughs) Use those strips, use microporta. I don't care what you use, you know, as long as it has a very mild, uh, easy. Not duct tape. Yeah. Not duct tape, (laughs) not gorilla tape, but, but all all those tapes work and they work great and you have to find what works for you some people say well i can't sleep unless i have a fat strip okay i don't care what you do (laughs) you know and i i prefer a very teeny piece that's all i need yeah Mm -hmm. and i feel like i rotate through depending on my mood so (laughs) there you go Mm -hmm. yeah so um the breathing exercises that you have researched is there any that you really like for meditation or to kind of help connect to your body or for grounding because i'm a little woo woo myself i'm into some of that stuff (laughs) woo woo is great especially when you can measure it objectively and measure it over and over again it has the same outcome then it's no longer woo woo it's called science Uh (laughs) and those are data points so uh, so much of what we've been talking about today has been considered woo woo pointless random stuff uh, by people, I think, who were who were very territorial over their practices. But now everything we're talking about is being studied at Yale and Harvard and the top institutions around the world. So this is this is science mm-hmm. and it's science because 
there are measurable outcomes to each of these things. You can measure your sleep quality, not using sleep tape, using sleep tape. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that is uh, it's, it's very simple. And there's a big study booting up at Stanford doing just that. So, um, you know, the other breathing techniques, I do all kinds of stuff. I mean, people reach out to me all the time whenever I travel, which has been a lot lately, uh, because a COVID thing, I'm trying to believe it's a little more in the background. I'm free to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm introduced to new breathing techniques all the time, whether it's new forms of TUMO, whether it's breathing techniques people have made up, whether it's new forms of Kundalini I wasn't familiar with, I do them all and they're great. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a different tool. Mm-hmm. Each of them I look at as a different tool for a different outcome. And it's such a privilege to me and, and a pleasure to be able to go around and go to all these classes in Sweden and in Spain mm-hmm. and in Croatia and experience different takes on this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is Kundalini? Kundalini is a very intensive pranayama breathwork practice in which you control your breath, but it's mostly focused. I just ate lunch. You're not supposed to do (laughs) Kundalini after eating lunch, but you are, you guys are going to probably hate it, which is why you should not be telling your your patients to immediately go to this. All right. Nobody listen. (laughs) Breathe very quickly, very quickly, and you pump your stomach. So it's less about taking those fluid, deep, easy, diaphragmatic breaths, and you're pushing energy into your stomach because they believe that this is the reservoir to all of the body's energy is right around where the navel region is. Mm -hmm. So you get your belly to become very flexible and, and whip it back. And you hold these poses with your arms out and do this for minutes at a time. And my God, uh, if you're ever in a bad mood or sleepy, uh, this will Mm -hmm. charge you up big time you will start sweating uh it's fantastic mm-hmm. and it's been around for for eons and eons and the, the science is very clear that this is incredibly effective for for so many things that's so cool mm-hmm. well you know we talk about the gut brain connection you know we talk about all of those things too and so i mean it makes sense that there could be a connection with breathing in the gut like it just when you say it out loud you also want to be like duh <laughs> This is, well, if if you think about what the diaphragm does, what what yoga does Mm -hmm. is it not only allows you to focus on your breath, conscious breathing, but it also Mm -hmm. massages your organs Mm -hmm. and it loosens up your rib cage and your intercostals. But massaging the organs is so important because that allows them to leach out toxins and lymph fluid. Mm -hmm. That's how they leach out Mm -hmm. lymph fluid. So Kundalini is like the super turbo version of that Mm -hmm. where you're massaging these organs in a crazy way which is why you can't just jump into it you have to go very slowly i absolutely love it it is Mm -hmm. done a lot for me i do it as often as i can and i'm excited to learn more about it Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds cool well i'm interested in like the chakras you know you have your root chakras and your tailbone your sacral chakra and your solar plexus chakras like right around your navel. So I guess in Eastern belief systems, I guess if you're using that part of your belly, you'd be activating your solar plexus chakra. Solar plexus, but but you're activating your root chakra a lot mm. um, in, this, in this activity too. There's all these different flexes and all this different stuff mm. that, that you do. You're connecting um, so everything. Mm-hmm. You're connecting everything and it's will be so we know this produces heat right that's that's an easy one 
But I'm convinced it also allows you to, to tap into some other forms of measurable energy without sounding mm -hmm. too far out there. And now there are instruments to measure this stuff. So I'm going to oh, cool. that a bit more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that next on your docket for your next uh, research project, potentially? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. No more breathing. Everyone's like, when's breath two coming out? I said, never. No, like, never I already did it. it. <laughs> Maybe you guys are going to write it. No, I'm not going to write another breathing book. So. Well, I already spent 30 years of my life mouth breathing. I think I know what it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm, go. I figured that out already. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So if you kind of had a takeaway for listeners then today, you know, if they are starting at like the base, like they're, they're Kimmy and I mouth breathers for 30 years, where would they even start? I think that's where people get overwhelmed is like, there's so many different avenues. There's so many rabbit holes you go down, like when you can't sleep and you just start researching, researching, and you're like, where do I even start? Where do I even go? Yeah, this was my issue when I was first researching this as well. Yeah. Because you pick up a breathing book, there's 400 different breathing practices, pranayama book, the same thing, kundalini, the same thing. I was like, what do you do with all this? But I found that there, so many of them have the same end goal right? It's to allow you to use your breathing to turn on stress on purpose, and also turn it off. So what I would suggest that people do is start with all the boring stuff we just mentioned. Yeah, you're going to have to breathe through your nose. Sorry, it's true. Majority of your breath should be through your nose, especially at night. That's just the reality. You need to focus on breathing slower. And what I mean by slower is you need to focus on breathing normally. The vast majority of us are breathing way too many breaths, way too often, right up into the uh, chest, the mm -hmm. shoulders, and you could see it. So you need to focus on breathing slower, breathing less for the same reasons you need to breathe slower. Breathing less is just to breathe the normal amount of air. So many of us are breathing way too much air, way more than we need. You can see that with a pulse ox, every you practice different breathing techniques. And from there, we won't get into chewing, but, which is very important early on in life. Mm -hmm. But if you are old like I am, then from there, that's that's in the distant past. Uh, you can have better oral posture, which is going to help you. And then you can play around with different breathing techniques, um, some of these more intensive techniques. And, uh, you know, you don't have to believe me. You can look at the back of my book, which has about 400 scientific references. If you think I'm making this stuff up, you can look on the website for free. There's videos, there's expert interviews. There's no paywall. I'm not asking for email addresses. It's just there because I knew no one was going to believe this until they heard it from other sources. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Um, in your, in your travels and in your research, what have you discovered about people that live at high elevations? Um, for example, my fiance, he grew up at near sea level. And when he moved to Colorado, which is high, it's about 6,000 feet where we live, um, really kind of wrecked him. And it made his sleep disorder breathing a lot worse. Like. Uh, he went from just like mouth breathing to like stop breathing, twitching, a lot of movement, dark circles, cortisol high, blood pressure high. Um, what have you kind of discovered as far as the connection between mouth breathing and high ele elevation? 
I was just in Aspen and I had the same exact thing. I thought, oh, I'm a good breather. I'm not going to have any issues. I felt great during the daytime. And then at night, I was, I kept waking up going, <clears throat> because your oxygen levels are lower, right? Your blood oxygen is lower. <clears throat> And so your body is triggered to be breathing too much. And when you breathe too much, you offload too much carbon dioxide. Some very solid science looking at the benefits of breathing slower, especially at altitude. Nasal breathing at night is very, very important at altitude. Is it going to fix everything? No, because your body needs to acclimate, <clears throat> right? You're going from, <clears throat> talk about zero, zero from 100 you're going from zero to 6,000. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and if if he would have gone to a 1,000 feet, a couple weeks, another 1,000 feet, a couple weeks, another 1,000 feet, I don't think he would have a problem. Yeah. It's, you know, we fly into a higher elevation environment and our, it's a bit of a shock to our bodies. It's the same thing like mm -hmm. if you're traveling to Europe right now and the time change, you're like, yeah, I can't sleep, everything's messed up. So that's that's what's happening. Uh, my hunch is it got better uh, the longer you were there, and he started uh, sleeping better. Um, is that would that be a correct assumption? Uh, Eventually, it got, a, it got a little bit less scary. But when I first met him and he had just moved there, I joked it was like sleeping next to someone who was possessed. You know, like the Exorcist, just <laughs> twitching and thrashing. You know, because he would stop breathing and it wasn't snoring. He would just stop breathing. And eventually as time went on, it would get like more noisy breathing, gaspy. But in the beginning, when it was the worst, it was just twitching and flailing and kicking and soak sheets and all the classic sleep disordered breathing symptoms, you know? Well, he, his body thought he was dying. Um, some people may say that uh, the stopping uh, the cessation of breathing at those times was his body's way of trying to keep more carbon dioxide in his body. Mm -hmm. There are some people that say that. I don't think that's ever been proven. But, you know, mostly it's it's just he wasn't acclimated to that environment. And I found at the end of my stay in Aspen, I felt I felt great. I was sleeping fine. Mm -hmm. It was after about five days that I really started feeling normal again. But those first few days were were really bad. So... That's the only thing I would mention. If you're talking about people at altitude, they tend to live longer, right? Mm -hmm. um, they tend to have much larger lungs. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence mm -hmm. uh, because you're you're breathing more. But a big mistake a lot of people make when they go to altitude is they start <sighs> over breathing all the time. Mm -hmm. You're not getting more oxygen this way, everybody. You're going to get more oxygen <laughs> if you slow down your breathing and breathe through your nose. Try humming as well. It can be very beneficial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I did an experiment one time, um, kind of out of necessity. I'm not the best runner. I'm not the best athlete, but I had some girlfriends that were doing a Ragnar relay race where you get a team of 12 people and you take turns running for 200 miles. And uh, I got tapped in to run seven miles after not running at all for a year <laughs> and <laughs> low key, not really exercising for that year either. <laughs> so I, um, I, 
agreed to do it, but I was like, I'm going to try to only breathe through my nose during this because the only time I get asthma is if I'm running. So I geared up and I got my little nose spray so I could breathe better. And I was able to run seven miles without stopping. And I'm a terrible runner, guys. Like I'm not good, but there was something that kicked in that night and I was able to keep going. Should have, should have practiced more because I could not walk the next two <laughs> days, <laughs> but I did it. And it was an amazing testament to the power of nose breathing because almost every other race I had done prior to that, I had always had an um, asthma attack. And one time I, I made it to the finish line and I passed out right when I crossed, I, oh, I fainted from, you know, asthma. So yeah, it's a kind of an interesting story for my life with that. Yeah, and I think that uh, I, I believe the percentage, this is a rough estimate, is about 40% of athletes will suffer some sort of exercise-induced asthma. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that is preventable. It's preventable yeah. by controlling the way in which you breathe. I'm not saying everyone who breathes through their nose is not going to suffer from this, but it's only going to help. And mm -hmm. you would have been a lot sore had you been mouth-breathing and over-breathing during those seven miles because of lactic acid <laughs> oh, buildup. Yeah. And, and it would have sapped the blood from your extremities and put it into your mm. core. And that's how people suffer from some really bad injuries on long distance running. Mm. Interesting. It's their legs that go out. If you look at a runner, mm -hmm. why do their legs go out? Their muscles yeah. are not getting energy, not enough energy. There's not enough blood flow down there. Mm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah, I... Uh, I used to be a runner, but I kept always getting shin splints. But when that was happening, I was also mouth breathing. So, mm. you know, here we are. <laughs> Give it a go. Here we are again. Report, report back. <laughs> like, yeah, I do. I have to like, I have to start running just to chase Izzy around. Like she's mm. just my 17 month old toddler. She's mm. a, she's definitely a long distance runner. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, well, it's been so awesome to have you on the show and to share your message. I know you get an opportunity to be on a lot of different podcasts and you've been at a lot of different conferences, touring quite a bit, it seems like, uh, traveling, touring, getting the word out, which we very much appreciate. And we very much appreciate you taking the time to come on to our show as well. Absolutely. Can't say no to Munch Bunch. Come on, you guys. That's right. You silly. can't. We won't let you. Yeah, you made that very clear. And I showed up on time. Like, so you were here. You it was awesome. I know I was messaging Kimmy the whole time during your speech. I was like, should I ask him? Should I ask him? She's like, do it. Do it. She was you you know, encouraging us from behind the scenes. Yes. yes thank you so so much we're so sure. excited and as a joe rogan like super fan i was like excited to have something in common with joe rogan for once in my life <laughs> there you go you can like find him and be like hey man we had the same guest so like we're both really cool, <laughs> we're both really cool. yeah there you go <laughs> so you mentioned your website um i know people can google it but we also just like to link it say it out loud uh where can people find your website how can people find you if you want them to no, I do not want them to find me, but they can find information related to breathing freely available Perfect. online to everybody at Mr. James Nestor. That's mrjamesnestor.com. I've mentioned this many times. Some other jerko took James Nestor, so I'm stuck with, with Mr. And that's just how it is. Um, 
on Instagram. I'm trying to get better at the social media thing, which I don't really understand, but uh, I'm trying to post things only related. Uh, no, no pictures of my dessert or my very cute dog, but uh, only things related to uh, breathing and the science of that at Mr. James Nestor. And all of these uh, resources I mentioned are available on the site uh, for free for anybody. Awesome. Beautiful. And of course, and you if could... you ever change your, if you ever change your mind and you want to Instagram for your dog, I'll totally follow. <laughs> She's really, I could get her over here if you really want to see her, but I don't think we, we want that. She's roaming around. Um, okay. I might, might hit you up on that one. <laughs> yeah. Kimmy will, will you bathe her as well? Manage. Does that come with it? Okay. <laughs> Only when she's back in the States. So, you know, <laughs> okay, that's true. Yes. perfect. Yes. And of course you can guys can find us at the Munch Budge podcast um, on Instagram, YouTube, any podcast hosting sites. You can find me personally at uh, Northwest Myofunctional Therapy. You can find Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory. Uh, and you can catch us with our next guest soon enough. So thank you again, Mr. James Nestor, very mm -hmm. official. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Till next time. See you guys later. <laughs>